Greetings, this is Kurt. Welcome to the second part of the three divisions of Book One. If this is your first visit to the Harkin Theater, we recommend you step back and start with Episode One of Prelude, The Hostage Prince. Otherwise, please make yourself comfortable as we continue the performances. As always, if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and share on your favorite platform. Comments or questions directed to our email will be answered promptly. If you care to help in keeping these complex productions coming, please buy me a coffee via the website coffee.com slash the Harkin Theater. Unlike my wife's favorite morning beverage, me, I prefer tea with cream and sugar, the donation website coffee.com is spelled ko-fi.com slash the Harkin Theater. Refer to episode descriptions for the exact address, our email, and our secure website. And thank you for listening. Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. A Bridge of Doom by Kurt Paul Hotelling Part 2 Agents of the Dark One A Prince's Second Soldier. Chapter 5 Despite Paul and Marie's dejection, the evening wore on, the sky continued its slow dance, and the crescent blue-green moon sailed across the heavens, occasionally masked by passing clouds. Paul shook off the gloom and thumped his fist determinedly on the small table. This doesn't make sense. There's a reason that I'm here. My mind was full of visions of you, Marie. My heart was broken. I know that's part of what brought me here. Her heart lifted a little with his statement, and she managed a soft smile. There must be some way to resolve... A rustling in the head startled him. Who's there? Possibly I can be of assistance? They could not see the source of the voice, branches and shadows, all that met their probing eyes. Who said that? You are the demigod? He known as the Prince of Light? Disturbed that someone might not be able to see the obvious, Paul replied, That depends on who's asking. Who? Be you lawful or an enemy? Without warning, the answer erupted from a different area of the bushes. Curious question. If I were an enemy, I would say I was your friend and hope you believe me. As I am lawful... So far as I am able, I will agree to that description and hope you will receive my gentle intrusion. If you be lawful, then why do you hide? I'm not hiding, necessarily. Rather, I've sought a quick method of finding and speaking with you both. I am acquainted with your conundrum and offer assistance. From within these bushes? Of course not. I have merely sought to introduce myself quietly, perhaps secretly. Well, then show yourself. Silence! Do not attract unwanted eyes. 
skeptical, they glanced around. Nobody noticed. Excellent. I shall reveal myself. The voice called from above their heads, making them look up and expect someone to drop. The branches behind Marie rustled aside. Good evening. <laughs> she and Paul turned as one to inspect their visitor. He was clad in a dark green cloak with a gold-colored tunic and brown breeches of heavy cloth above worn leather boots. Loosening his cloak from the branches, he stepped around and took a relaxed stance before them, seeming content to allow them a good look. His hair was dark and curly, bushing out in random directions from his head, his face clean-shaven and his brow high and commanding with a widow's peak, while his high cheekbones gently accented his bright blue eyes. He was of a large build and taller than most with graceful arms and large, gentle hands. From his belt of twisted, colored, cord-inlaid leather hung a dagger and pouches, no larger weapon apparent. Reflecting the candlelight with a dull sheen was a round, hemispherical brooch of silver inlaid with bluestone that reminded them of Rothson's medallion, if less ornate. It clasped his cloak at the throat. The only other jewelry was a wide gold ring upon his right ring finger. At the same time, he tilted his head with curiosity at Paul. After a moment... He smiled warmly at the couple, his gaze hinting at great secrets known and protected. His cloak billowed gently behind him with the breeze that swept across the balcony. Marie favored him with a smile. I'm impressed with your talents of deception, sir. Are you a man of illusion? He appeared pleased with her compliment, but uncomfortable with her question. My voice tricks were taught me by an elf friend and love brother. I am no prestidigitator of illusory tricks, nor am I a mage. I am Gawan, Enchanter. Remembering that there were only two known enchanters studying the discipline, thus the further tragedy of Rothson's demise as the last master enchanter, Marie sat up with sudden interest, repeating his name to herself. Gawan? From where have you come, sir? Newly arrived on a ship from Fellstar, my lady, and was on the road from the Cresden Harbor to come and meet Rothson by his invitation when I was made aware of the situation. Made aware? Then you knew of Rothson's death? Unfortunately. And I know more than I care to. That remains to be seen. Paul's thoughts were awash with cinematic images of bearded Merlins and Hollywood wizards, against which this intruder's youthful appearance failed to nurture genuine confidence. Just how old are you? More than you think, probably. I've always been told I look younger than I am. Since you've asked, I recently hailed the 24th Riyadh of my birth. Riyadh? 396 days. Each moon lasts 33 days, there being 12 moons in a riad. A sun cycle designates a period of 144 riads, give or take a few, that being the time it takes for the yellow sun to completely orbit the red sun one time. I didn't come here for a science lesson. The enchanter's eyebrows raised. Forgive me, Lord, but your question demonstrated a lack of basic knowledge of how we measure time in this kingdom. How is it measured in your land? 
Similarly, but you're evading the central point. Why were you hiding? As I said, I wasn't hiding. Rather, I sought another way in. That prejudiced doorman refused me entrance to this fancy ball. Do you object to my joining you? He reached for a third chair nearby. Of course not, Enchanter. Marie cut off Paul's retort, making him fume silently. Sensitive to his distress, she touched his hand. Paul, please calm down. This man can run around Dorman and throw his voice. The whites of his eyes glared out from his brown face. Oh, how clever. Gaywan sat between them. I should call for a guard or something to have the smart-mouthed eavesdropping bush climber removed. It's no wonder he wasn't allowed entrance, as scruffy as he appears in comparison to the official guests. I want to enjoy the advantage of rubbing elbows with the upper class. Privacy. I want time with Marie alone. Time that's probably short, and this man's wasting it. Perceiving his thoughts, Gaewan turned his eyes to Paul. My deepest apologies, Lord, for not being one of the nobility. Marie hid a smile at Gaewan's use of the title Paul hated most. I have no robes dripping with gems, no purse bulging with coin and crest, much as I would like. He rolled his eyes. Nor will I brag of riches recently acquired. He wagged a finger in mock warning. Thou shouldn't trust me too much, or at all for that matter. I am an outlaw, a figure of uncertainty who sneaks through gardens and mauls innocent bushes. Shall I sniff at the wine, or the trisk? Or might they prefer I gloat over my robes and call them an old hermit's rag? Before Paul could utter any argument, Gaewan touched his fingers to his forehead and concentrated. Suddenly, the enchanter's simple traveling cloak was replaced by one of royal blue with diamonds studded across the chest overlay. A scepter crowned with a large red gem appeared in his ring-laden hands. His face changed, his nose longer and tapered, his eyebrows plucked, a thin, trimmed beard framing his mouth, and his whole body size diminished. The image of haughty wealth lifted a jeweled goblet and sniffed the liquid inside with distaste, then glared sidelong at Paul as if he were a distrustful servant. Paul gaped in amazement, having never imagined such a transformation possible. The image was just as quickly replaced again by the enchanter smiling confidently, his blue eyes sparkling with mirth. Caught totally off guard, Paul managed to ask, Uh, why didn't you do that for the doorman? No written invitation. Oh, please do be careful. Marie's smile betrayed her delight with the performance. You know the law regarding open demonstration of magical power, especially when His Highness is attending. Gaewan wagged a hand blithely. No one near enough to have noticed. May I offer you a drink? Many thanks. He smiled graciously and snatched the cup from her hand. Spellcasting does parch me a bit. He drank thirstily, tipping the cup with haste. Marie took the opportunity to glance at Paul, who scowled his suspicion of their visitor. <sighs> I hadn't realized how long it's been since I drank something. And then to have such excellent trisk. 
Mm. Thank you again. Pardon my greediness. I've been riding all day. Of course, Gaewon. You said something about helping. Paul was admittedly curious, his skepticism sufficiently quashed by the demonstration. The enchanter regarded him for a long moment. You have fortuned upon this place a second time, and for one reason above all others. Gaewon touched Marie's shoulder as he spoke to Paul. But I must warn you, by coming here you have created problems. Problems? Rothson's doom, if not thwarted, will find you, my lady. He looked at Marie. Debts must be paid. Debts? What kind of debts? They seem to concern Paul's presence here. Was that why Rothson had died? What can we do? Her attention was drawn irresistibly into Gaewan's eyes of bright blue. She noticed a burst of gold within his blue irises, giving him a mysterious, sparkling gaze. Concerning your fate, nothing until it visits upon you. The only thing I know for certain is that it is inescapable. He squeezed her shoulder gently and searched her eyes. Remembering Rothson's directness, she found this man's enigmatic manner and words disturbing. At the same time, his touch was comforting. What do you know, Gaewon? His lucidity fogged over suddenly like clouds covering the suns, and he sat back. Mm, too much, and perhaps not enough. I am burdened with the danger of what I've seen, the boundaries I have crossed. What boundaries? Gaewon glanced furtively about. To tell you everything I know and how I know it would be to entangle myself in your karmic net. I endanger myself even now by being here with you. What's going to happen? I don't know, but Marie is in mortal danger of that, I am sure. From whom? I cannot tell you. To make them aware of the specters specifically was to throw his fate in with theirs. In such a position, he would be of little help. Then what are you here for? To carry out a promise, to do what I can to keep Marie safe. Of course, but against what? I cannot tell you. Then what can you tell us? Are you here to help us or distract us? You sound like a cheap psychic. Cheap? Something will happen to you today. What's next, a crystal ball? Gaewon narrowed his eyes at Paul's outburst, befuddled at his anger. My crystal was destroyed earlier, if that's what you seek. Oh, great! Paul! A charlatan with a few tricks up his sleeve. A fool with a fool's avoidance of truth, if there is any truth. Or a sot, looking for a free handout. Seeing Gaewon's reaction made him wish he hadn't spoken. The enchanter straightened in his chair, a flash of anger clearing his expression, and he appeared to vacillate between leaving or staying. I did not choose this thankless task, nor did I carelessly decide to interrupt what may be your last visit with this woman. You have no reason to trust me or believe me, and I cannot think of a way to convince you to do so. If you so wish, I will leave you alone and let you face what comes without my help. Perhaps this was a mistake. I suffer from too much knowledge and not enough tools, therefore... I am forced to fail 
in Rothson's final request. Please, Gaewan. Marie reached for his hand and tugged him back down to his seat, then glared at Paul to be quiet. Were you with Rothson before he died? He blinked away the sudden mist in his eyes and looked away, not wanting to remember Leomane's death in his arms. A part of him, yes. Part of him? More magician mystique. I am not a mage. I fail to see any difference. A surge of ego made him want to jump up and transform right there, just to impress his importance on this man who could only appear to change shape. But he fought down his vanity. If for nothing else, he would humor Marie's wishes. But that doesn't mean I have to pretend I like the fellow. I may be a demigod, but I'm still a man. And if you ask me a question, I'll give you a direct answer, not this vague garbage you're tossing around. Where I come from, frauds and politicians can never give a straight answer. Marie was about to retort, but was stayed by Gaewan's touch. Clearly, you are not well-versed in the ways of men of power, such as Rothson and myself. I don't see anything all that special about you, if that's what you mean. That's not what I meant. Then what do you mean? Paul bolted forward, agitated with Gaewan's outward calmness. I'm going to get a rise out of him. Force him to reveal his weaknesses. Look, I know I'm being hard on you, but I'm getting tired of being pushed around. The last time I was here, I knew nothing. Nothing about why or how or what. I'm not well versed about much of anything here, except in how I feel about Marie. Yet how can I be here without knowing why? And Rawson wasn't any help last time, until I stumbled across my ability. I refuse to be dragged around this time. You want to help us? Help me? Who are you? Talk straight to me, man. Gaewan rubbed his eyebrows. It will take a little time. Well, if you can't convince me of what you know, then what time you've spent with us is wasted. Paul tapped a finger on his chest. I know what I can do, Gaewan, and I'll use that ability to protect Marie as best I can against whatever doom comes. But until I know more about you, I'll be damned if I'll listen to you. What do you want from me? More proof of my powers? Tricks don't explain anything, Gaewan. Be honest with me. Seeing how the Enchanter faced up against his verbal attack, Paul had to admit a developing respect for him, if nothing else. There are many who consider mages and enchanters a nuisance. Are you one of them? Not at all. Rawson was an enchanter, and he brought me here in the first place. So far, though, I don't know what to consider you other than an illusionist. Gaewan grimaced. And unfortunately, illusion is the one thing people remember most. Any other kind of demonstration requires more severe circumstance. For instance? Attack on my person. An image came to Paul's mind of a martial arts master who appears simple and harmless, unless threatened. I catch your drift. Gaewan's blink and frown at his comment reminded him to rephrase himself. Excuse me, I understand your meaning. The enchanter nodded. In the public eye, we seem to cause more trouble than good. But this perception is comparable to the vulgar man who curses the wild horses that tramp across his hand-plowed fields instead of realizing he could harness and use them to ease his efforts and increase his yield. 
The simple fact is, mages and enchanters learn a higher awareness, more so with enchanters, and become so engrossed in the invisible worlds and how they interact with this one, we can see what causes problems which are otherwise explained as bad weather, bad luck, or immovable fate. Kind of like having a third hand or third eye that no one but you can see. An example comes to mind. Gaewan reclined and glanced inwardly for a moment. Have you ever visited a refuge for the unsane and deranged? Not as a resident, of course. Recalling some of the dark corners of the human psyche he had researched for his psychology courses and a filmed interview with an inmate of a psychiatric ward, Paul nodded. In a manner of speaking, yes. Imagine if you will. Gaewan gestured with his hands. A resident who is old and hunched over. He walks as if stones rest on his shoulders. His eyes are dim, his mind fading. I've seen that, yes. Now, try to see what makes this man walk like this, what makes him dumb and mad. There are small demons clinging to his body. Their claws dig into his flesh, and they feed on his life energy. Because of these psychic leeches, his mind is clouded, his manner stupid. Such a person with more strength might be seen to repeatedly scratch and tug at parts of his body, at unseen things, or waving at insects that do not appear to exist. You've seen this? As a part of my training in seeing the unseen, Paul shuddered inwardly at the idea of invisible vampires sucking the life out of a person, and wondered if this was true on Earth. But mages and enchanters do know how to rid a person of these things? Yes, but only when specifically asked for help. We do not interfere, else we take that individual's problem, their karma, on ourselves. And, of course, no one believes a mage or an enchanter to be learned in ways of bodily or mental health. Therefore, no one thinks to ask one for help. Well, if my life is in danger, Gaewan, and Rothson's death is proof enough, then I officially request your help. He met her gaze solemnly and gratefully. <sighs> I will do what is within my power. Everyone turned to the intruder, glaring furiously at Gaewan. Paul recognized the livery and heavy brass staff of the doorman. You! I told you no admittance to mages without written invitation! Gaewan stared resignedly at the sky. I'll have you thrown in the lockup! He reached a clawed hand to grasp the enchanter's robe. Please, sir, hmm? he's to remain by my wish. Becoming abruptly aware of Gaewan's company, uh, the doorman's expression shifted uh, to benign acquiescence. Uh, oh, most certainly, my lord. I didn't know. Forgive my intrusion. He bowed deeply, his hat's feather brushing the floor. Then, with an oblique glare at Gaewan, hmm. he puffed off in quick step. Seems like you're the one in danger around here. Indeed. Thank you, my friend. To him, I am a bane to society, a trained, barely-controlled dog to serve only when called. I think I understand. 
Paul remembered the stories of segregation and racism from his parents, times when anyone with dark skin was asked to step to the back of the bus. What's the difference between mages and enchanters? Excellent question. Men of magic use psychic energy, but due to the uncertainty of the flow, they are prone to frustration and madness unless they learn to adapt to the unconstant nature of the energy. It is like an ocean wave, all there at one moment and receded in the next. Paul nodded as he took this in, seeing how this would explain a psychic's accuracy of one prediction and erroneousness of another. Another difference is how mage and enchanter focus energy. A mage uses things of metal, bone, or wood to channel powerful magics, for if he were to use his hands to throw these spells, the living flesh would be burned from his fingers, much like a baker grabbing loaves out of the oven with his bare hands instead of a paddle. Without such devices, mages are ineffectual with the greater incantations, unless they wish to sacrifice some part of themselves. Then there are the different types of magic, the alchemist with his potions, the conjurer with his enslaved entities, and the full-fledged wizards, a rarity. Marie considered this, having grown up with the Silver Council and its nearby school for mages. Beyond the cities, mages were probably rare, she supposed. The mage is limited in his strength of power by two factors, the depth of his rapport with the energy he manipulates and the maximum load his physical component can channel, be it a ring, an entity, or a staff. Tis not unusual to hear of a mage turning his staff to ashes or blackening and breaking his ring. And this particular hazard is not limited to mages. Enchanters are prone to it as well. The few practicing men of power, such as myself, use our bodies to channel a more certain constant force known as, uh, well, you might call it your life force, that part of you and the Supreme Spirit. While a mage may err, resulting in the destruction of his staff or talisman, in which case he can make another, an enchanter may utter a word of such extreme vibration or invoke a command of such massive power that his physical body may fall to ashes where he stands. Using this power is difficult, requiring many long hours of contemplation in order to accustom oneself to harnessing and channeling the higher energies. The road of magic is quicker and easier at the beginning and many times used irresponsibly the usual choice of the lazy or impatient man, and it holds many pitfalls. Paul recalled some phenomenon he had read about people who burst into flame and understood why someone would choose other than being an enchanter. Does this mean you should be treated with special notice? By the gods, if I were to receive more than a grain of respect as an enchanter, I would be alarmed. Be not awed by my art, Paul. The mere act of imagining something truly desired causes ripples in the fluid of life. Thusly, everyone uses magic or power in small ways, and rarely do they realize it, from the proclamation of a king to the idle gossip of an old woman. Paul frowned at this, confused. Simply put, my friend, be aware that every word, every thought, 
every deed affects the channels of energy in the universe. He rubbed his hands together with finality. That is all I will say on the matter. Reflecting on what was said, Paul wondered how much his yearning for Marie had affected the occurrence of his journey between worlds. The enchanter's eyes brightened as he spied the refreshment tables, and he stood up. I won't be a moment. I, I, I feel a little embarrassed. He slumped with his elbows on the table. I didn't mean to lose my temper with him. I know. I just want to be with you, Marie. This talk of doom, well, it scares me, I guess. And when I get scared, I get angry. The unpleasant memory of a fight with his mother surfaced. With a delicate finger, Marie lifted his chin and gazed into his brown eyes. Tis a wiser man who understands his own feelings. There was nothing wrong with challenging what you believed false. Then you're not peeved with me? Of course not. You're trying to protect me. Anyone can see that. She lowered her eyes self-consciously. Thank you. Gaewan returned, his cheek bulging with part of a cheese and fruit roll, while he loaded several more mm. of the sizable mm. treats into mm. his robe's pockets. Mmm. Such delicious food. Mmm. Mm. Tis nice to enjoy a slice of the rich life. Mm. Indeed, you have enough in your pockets to hold your own celebration. Marie was glad to see a commoner robbing the privileged for once. Gaewan raised his eyebrows innocently. Hmm? Each cheese loaf is meant for several to enjoy. Oh, I, I thought they were a bit large. Did you want some? He lifted a roll out of a pocket. Of course not, Gaewan. I'm just happy to see someone appreciate the food. The snobs in the crowd usually take two bites and leave the rest to rot. Not this snob. He sat back in his chair and removed a goblet brimming with liquid from another pocket in his voluminous robe, then took a careful sip. Paul was reminded of the earlier illusion and couldn't help smiling to himself. Mm -hmm. It would be handy to have those uh, three hands I mentioned earlier. Oh, I made a pun. Mm. I must sneak into more of these festivities. Marie, what do you call your world? Fayek. Fayek? Fayek. Fayek. An attendant in festive dress arrived with a pitcher and refilled all the goblets on the table while Gaewan watched her happily. Paul observed how the enchanter followed her with his eyes as she moved on to other tables on the expansive terrace. She was only a few years, Riaz, younger than Gaewan, Paul guessed and noted the enchanter's roving eye appraise her figure. He was pleased to see one of his favorite pastimes universal in its appeal. Gay one? Gay one? Hmm? He spun around and caught the knowing twinkle in her eye. Oh, <laughs> pardon me, please. He smothered his abashed smile with another bite from his roll. Quite all right. Have you a lady? He shrugged. Mm. Not actually. Well, I did meet someone recently on my homeland, and under odd circumstance, a half-elfin girl of exceptional ability and beauty. But that was a couple of moons ago, and I am here at the moment, so I suppose I don't really know. I hope so. 
He stood up and poured the contents from Paul's goblet into his. Realizing his callousness in mid-pour, he grinned apologetically. <clears throat> Pardon me, Lord, I am rather wild-haired tonight, acting like I'm with my love brother, Clough. Here, I'll fetch some more. The picture of Gaewan chasing after the servant girl made Paul laugh. <laughs> Don't worry about it, and call me Paul, please. As you wish. The matter forgiven, Gaewan nodded his thanks and stretched himself, then continued nibbling his snout. For a short while, the trio was quiet as they listened to the tireless melodies of the orchestra and the gentle conversation of the guests. Feeling more comfortable with Gaewan's presence, Paul shifted his chair next to Marie's and took her hands in his. She was still pure, inviolate, separate from his world where everything was soured by pollution of thought and body. She isn't a fickle girlfriend, nor an abusive mother, nor a manipulative associate. He wanted to hold tight and savor every moment with her, feeling in his bones that he would again leave this world soon. Her sweet smile encouraged him further and, damning any royal decorum he might transgress, he placed an arm around her and pulled her close. She said nothing, her feelings shared in her response, her softness. I don't want anything to happen to you. It is unavoidable. They looked to see Gaewan watching them and both became entranced by his powerful orbs of azure and golden fire as he appeared to weigh his thoughts. There may be a way I can help you at this juncture. Juncture? Much like offering a victim of an impending fall a rope with which they might save themselves. How? Paul, do you truly love Marie with all your heart? Despite his present feeling, uncertainty clutched Paul's heart, and he struggled with the impulse to turn away from Gaewan's burning eyes, afraid he might see his fear. A moment ago, he would have replied immediately, but the way in which the question was posed seemed to hint at a finality, a commitment he wasn't sure he was ready for. But I have to answer. A thousand voices screamed through his mind. But is God, this the right thing to do? I don't know. This is it. This is what I'm going to do. I will do this. Then he remembered the thoughts, the wishes that brought him here in the first place. Gazing squarely at Gaewan, he said, Yes, I do. He was rewarded with a gentle squeeze from Marie. The contentment that welled up inside him with her touch drowned his doubts, and he was glad. At that moment, Gaewan felt a chill run along his spine. He turned to look beyond the balustrade, then stood and walked with uncertainty to the railing. The gaiety of the celebration seemed suddenly far away. In his mind's eye, he saw the lake with its black waters sparkling in the moonlight. A shadow glided over the water's surface toward the city. His time grew dangerously short. Whirling about, he strode back to the table. We must be quick. He reached inside his cloak and dug through his pockets, quickly finding the small flask he sought. I am cold all of a sudden. Marie pulled close to Paul. 
The enchanter held forth a thick, squarish, dark glass vial just the size of his hand. This fluid has roots in ancient elfin lore. You may think of it as a tincture, if you so wish, but not one of magic or alchemy. It has no power to change fates or influence minds, yet it does guide to change itself. Care to be more specific, Gay One? Paul kept his skeptical thoughts at bay for the moment. Gaewan regarded the flask tenderly, remembering the elfin wise woman, a maker of rare tinctures, gentle potions for well-being, and herbal solutions. Without preamble of any sort, she had entrusted the flask and its contents to his keeping, then left him to find his own way. As thou treadest the path toward being an enchanter, a transformer for power, Dost thou become a passage for change, that ultimate force of God, which, though frequently resisted, is never denied? Share this only when thine own heart guideth thee accordingly. Gay one. Forgive me, I was moons away. Most would probably regard this as a harmless tea of little-known herbs offered as a love potion at a summer solstice's fair. Carefully uncorking the flask, he poured a few drams into Paul's empty cup, then into Marie's partially full one. I call it a bonding elixir. Recorking, he returned the vial to his pockets. Paul tipped the goblet and saw the fluid dark at first, then it came to life with changing hues of yellow, pink, and blue. He shook the cup gently and the colors mixed to become dark, almost invisible again. Marie watched as the contents of her cup glowed for a moment. For those who love, it deepens awareness of such and enhances the ripening bond. Gaewan rested a warning hand over each cup. For those who do not, it is a sour brew that stings the tongue and ends what never really started. Confused, Paul looked up from his goblet. How will the stuff help us? Marie must meet her fate. But if you truly love her, the bonding will connect her with you, allow you both to face what comes for her alone. The balcony dimmed as clouds masked the moon above. A breeze bent the candle flame between them, bringing down the shadows. Paul saw Marie watching him. Drink now, if you can. The enchanter rose and walked back to the railing. The night air became cold. Far away, what might have been a high, shrill wail echoed over the hills. Paul and Marie were motionless, each watching the other. The gala seemed far away. The thunder of distant hooves came down from the air, and they turned to look, but saw only Gaewan staring back at them, a terrible fire in his eyes. Do not look! Drink now, if you dare. Paul looked to Marie, watching him intently, hopefully, her expression one of enchantment. He became spellbound by her deep hazel eyes, creamy skin, and dark hair framing her face. They raised their cups. A sensation in his awareness, like a cold, bleak light, descended. 
uncertainty. No, I can't do this. Is this the right thing to do? I'm not going to do this. I know what I'm doing. What if I'm wrong? Am I being hasty? Or is this really just a dream? The cup became heavy in his hand, like a stone. He could not move the rim closer to his mouth. His heart pounded in his head. Or is that horses coming? Spectres? As he fought with the gravity holding down the goblet, Paul saw Marie watching him with concern. Is she scared too? He could see she wanted to say something to him, her jaw working soundlessly, her eyes pleading with him to do something. Resolute, he brought the cup to his mouth. The liquid moved like cold molasses to his waiting tongue. Is this a mistake? Shadows sprang up peripherally and obliterated the world around him. His awareness of Fayek dissolved. He felt sluggish, as if covered with syrup in a mud puddle. Then a cool mist passed down his throat. Paul and Marie drank until there was no more. They lowered their goblets just as the orchestra started a new tune. When they turned to the balustrade, no one was there. Enchanter Gaywan was gone. Bridge of Doom, Part 2, Agents of the Dark One. The sound plays were written, recorded, directed, mastered, and produced by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Copyright 2022. Character voices are performed by William Bloxham, Geraldine Cummings, Kevin Norris, Ira Lively, Todd Suarez, and H, the Great and Powerful. The novel and sequels of the Quintology are available through Amazon.com or on Kindle Books, can be ordered at your favorite bookseller, or can be purchased directly and at best price, with additional bonuses from the author by submitting a request to our email. Music for the Harkin Theater was composed and performed by Evan McDonald, Florian Serral, Francesco D'Andrea, Atlas Mason, High Street Music of London and licensed by PremiumBeat.com Public domain music performances are licensed under Lieber Lieber Creative Commons More detailed music and performer credits can be requested from the Harkin Theatre at Yahoo.com Sound effects and original Foley provided by Cusp Studios and the BBC Library This was recorded on location in the universe.